Welcome back to the Product Stories Podcast, hosted by Victor Peralnik. This podcast helps founders like yourself to find leaner ways to build successful SaaS products. Welcome back, everyone. Today's guest is Hannes Kleist, founder of Stanwood, a German-based but completely remote-first software house. In this episode, he'll share his tricks from many years of remote work, how to brainstorm remotely, and how to keep people aligned and accountable. Hannes, welcome to the show. Victor, thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, well, this has not been the first time uh, you've you've essentially participated in the first and last conference that we ever organized. I think uh, <laughs> the the last thing to ever happen before the lockdown last year that was March. Thanks for coming over anyway back then. And uh, but today we're gonna we're gonna speak about remote work. Why don't you tell people a little bit about your background and uh, what you do? So um, currently, I am running a number of uh, agencies, but that's not how we how we started or how I started. So I, I have a classical MBA background, marketing and sales, but was always into tech. So I was always a nerd. As you might see in the background here, there's Lego Star Wars all over this wall behind me. And I've worked in corporate at a broadcasting company in Germany at ProSiebenSat1 for 10 years. I'm doing business development and all kinds of stuff before I've had enough and set up my own startup with a bunch of friends, an app TV guide that we grew up to a million active users in Germany and then sold to a publishing company here in Germany, third largest publishing company. And then we stayed with that company for two years and built up their app development and publishing business. And uh, again, the corporate world got kind of boring. So we headed out again, set up a new bunch of companies, agencies. And one of them is Stanwood, which is a app development and website development company based in Berlin. But as you said in the introduction, we are 100% remote. So even the first company that we founded was fully remote. That's in the name Stanwood, right? So Stanwood comes from the Skype call where we founded the company in Munich Holzstraße, which translates into Wood Street and Sydney, Australia in Stanley Avenue. So that's uh, we, we even have the remoteness in our name back from 15 years ago. Wow, that's definitely one of the oldest uh, remote first companies that I know. So congratulations. Just to get a, a sense of how big the company is, how many people do you have, how many teams, um, how many projects you work on at a given time. So with Stanwood, we have had a bit of a hit due to COVID. So many of our clients have been struggling under COVID and reduced their budgets. But at, at our height, we were a bit over 40 people uh, working in three teams, and we call them squads. So our teams are organized around clients or around projects. So they are cross-functional teams, um, very decentralized, very highly autonomous. And every one of those squads was working for usually one big client where they were doing the principal development and then five to six smaller projects just doing maintenance or some minor development. And how many countries do your team members reside in and across how many time zones? So that would have been 12 countries at our height. 
22 different cities. And the time zones, we are fairly Europe-centric. Like we had the odd guy working from Australia for a year, especially during COVID. Like last year, my business developer, Richard, like he didn't make it back from vacation. He had to stay in Sydney for a whole year. Like he was, that was quite tough. And, and we had some people working from South America for a number of months, but but we are really focused on Europe. So we are still in that, you know, that like the stages of remoteness, right? Where stage one is office bound and stage five is the remote Nirvana with digital nomads. We are still at stage three where we have synchronous processes, right? And we are working currently of making the jump to the asynchronous world where we can basically support working from all time zones and not just Europe. Yeah, I'm sure your Australian guy did everything he could to come back in in that definitely, I mean, um, (laughs) it's such a shame he had to stay there. But if you could go over those five stages, I think that would actually be super helpful to our listeners. All right. All right. I, I need to, I need to, now I need to focus because I might mix them up a little bit. So the first stage is obviously being office bound, right? Like everyone is coming to the office working nine to five. Then there's stage two where some people are allowed to work from home, right? This is then called home, uh, like working from the home office. I know in Germany, we call it Telearbeit, right? Like a, a, a phrase from the, from the seventies. So then there's stage three where you don't have offices anymore, right? Where everyone is working remotely. And this is basically true for every company in the last year, right? Like everyone had to work from home from COVID unless like you are working on physical stuff. Then the next stage, and this is actually the big revolution in remote work. The next stage is getting to asynchronous processes, right? Because everybody in the last year was doing the same stuff they did in the office just from home, right? Like, and everything got worse, right? People got had to work more, people got more stressed, people felt more lonely, more stressed out, right? So this was like this is kind of like like in in sicknesses where it gets to get worse before it gets better. So this is a with remote work. It gets really great once you go asynchronous, right? Where you don't have to be in the same time zone, have meetings and calls and Slack chats all the time, right? Where your stress level just goes up because you have like you have to constantly work with your time constraints and go into asynchronous processes. And this is really the, the big shift in management style, in leadership, if you want to allow these kinds of processes, because then people can work and live from everywhere and you can truly hire from everywhere and give people the, the freedom that so many, especially millennials now, now require. And then the fifth stage is basically everybody is a digital native, right? So in stage number four, asynchronous processes. Most people work from their home most of the time. And then stage five is where we all travel around the globe all the time following weather patterns and, and, and these kinds of stuff. That's then the, the fifth stage. Well, then everybody would be in the same place and you'd take your office with you because there's like this one ideal spot during the year, right? Uh, uh, just kidding. But um, I think it, it, it's crucial to to investigate that, that breakthrough moment you said w- between synchronous, so like doing things as we did in the office, just doing them remotely. So for example, in the office, let's say we have our our 
9 a.m. stand-up with the entire team, right? I think that's a perfect example for a very simple synchronous event that, that happens in almost every startup. And now remotely, most people probably do, at least I know that from a lot of startups, the 9 a.m. stand-up call where everybody's late, where uh, half of uh, the people are already working on the side, the other half are speaking about something that's totally irrelevant, and uh, in the end, nobody really likes the call. Even though I remember that I really liked in-office stand-ups. How should someone improve this? This is really a, a fine line to walk. So in terms of efficiency, let's look at the efficiency side, right? You can do an, an, a stand-up asynchronously right you can just have people either just when they that's what we do when everybody checks into slack in the morning and gives a quick like your typical three questions right like what did i finish yesterday what am i going working on today and what is blocking me and you can do that as a text or if you want to go real fancy you can have like a small video recording right which i would actually recommend because if you do that if you go fully asynchronous what you are missing is everything related to team bonding right like and and also binding your your people to your company and to your brand right so that is the tricky really tricky part so if you go for asynchronous stand-ups you need to find other ways to connect with your people and connection with people there's no way around it you always need to make that asynchronously right so that is the real the real tricky part. So for instance, we are doing out of the whole Scrum thing, we have the demo that is still synchronous with us, right? So everybody, and we do it company-wide. So um, that once per week, this is like the one slot where everybody comes together and everybody is presenting what they did and we celebrate each other to keep that kind of bonding. Yes, that is, that is very important. So we'll, we'll definitely discuss culture as well. But I think what's super important with remote work is how leadership propagates this culture and, and how these decisions are made. So how does leadership work at Stanwood to enable remote work? So this is one of the hardest lessons that I have learned because I, I was like, uh, I was socialized, if you will, by a McKinsey consultant. So my boss in corporate was an ex-McKinsey. And he learned me, I taught, he taught me management by spreadsheet and PowerPoint, right? Like smart people at the top come up with brilliant ideas. Then they communicate very good. Good communication was also key at that time. But then you basically force people to fill out status reports or monitor their behavior or PowerPoint, right? So you get, so basically top down uh, micromanagement. And that I tried that a couple of times in my own companies and it always failed, right? Even up to the point where I was burned out and was, was like a week before, before throwing in the towel and I had people leaving because of that. So we, 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 we ruined the company a couple of times with different approaches of the same flavor, if you will. So now I turned this entirely around. So for a leader, what you need to do is you need to define the problem that you see give background and give context and then even if you think you have the right solution don't tell anyone right keep it to yourself and let your teams develop all the stuff that they need for themselves right like so that's what we did in the last couple of years that we have highly autonomous teams that can 
define everything like from tools, processes, everything that they need. And I only come in if I see a big problem and then go say, guys, we have this problem. I don't know. Like our clients are not happy, right? We are measuring client happiness with a net promoter score. Like our client's happiness is below 70%. We need, you need to do something, go, right? And then we set up basically OKRs so that I can get my priorities communicated to the teams. But how they are going to do that, I leave it to them. Like even if they present it to me, like I might give some context and will give perspectives that they might not be privy to. So for instance, how clients will see what they will do, but I do not come up with stuff anymore, right? And even if you think, even if you think the idea your people come up with is, is worse than yours, right? So even if you think their idea is just 80% as good as yours, don't tell them, don't improve it, right? If you try to improve it, if you say this is a great idea, but let's do this, right? You will kill all ownership that you had so far, right? So if they come up with the 80% solution, you have like, they will implement this thing faithfully, right? To the dot, like let's say 80%. So overall, your goal is achieved 80 times 80 is uh, 64%. So like the solution is, is fixing 65% of your problem. If you come up with your 100 or you implement or force down your 100% brilliant solution, right? but you only get 20% of, of, of acceptance in your team, right? Then you are only achieving your goal by 20%. So yeah, so that's how, that's how we switched how decision-making works. And the great thing is it also frees you up as a, as a leader, right? Like um, you don't have to, to think about shit anymore and uh, can think, worry about strategy and culture and give interviews. I think this is very, very valuable advice and insight. And clearly, you've you've invested a lot of time tweaking this. Uh, so co congratulations on on that. I know how how tough this can be. You've heard it from a lot of founders. So thank you for that. How do you define and, and communicate your vision and, and, and mission? Because I assume that that stands on top of everything that you just said, so that people understand what guides them, right? Yeah. And I think that is like the last, that is like the last four that I'm holding down where I say this is leadership priority, right? This is something that you don't have people like you, you don't hold meetings and have people come up with the vision of a company. That is the one thing plus goals that you uh, work out of your vision and your mission. That is something that you need to set. Otherwise you that's your role as the entrepreneur to set that, right? Um, because then you need to, like the second most important job for a leader is, is finding the right people. And if you don't have vision and mission and strategic goals aligned, you don't know what to look for in people, right? Like um, depending on what your, what your top-down process, uh, what your great idea is, you need very different people. So, um, yeah, so what I do is like usually every one, one or two years, I... Um, Usually during vacation, I sit down and think about what are we here for, and then and and why do I do this? This all comes from like me personally. What I feel is is important for me and 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 for my life, and that changes our vision quite drastically, right? So we started off a couple of years ago and wanted to just become the biggest remote software agency in the world, right? That was still in my big ego phase where I just wanted to like beat WordPress, basically, right? Like I wanted to get to a thousand developers on my team. 
And uh, we switched. Um, then once like working with the coach, I found out, all right, like having the biggest numbers isn't really going to make you happy and is also not going to create the work environment that you, that I really wanted. So we changed that to a quality aspect, right? That we said, all right, we want to bring in the best quality software from any agencies in, in Europe, right? And that was something that you can then rally the troops uh, rally the troops around and we are currently switching with all our agencies towards not making not only making the best software but creating the most money value for our clients right so we have a new agency that is doing lead generations marketing and sales for clients and that is really what we are focusing on that we that we are looking to only look for b2b clients and try to help them increase their revenue and increase their sales by use of technology and all the other stuff that we build around that. And then how do I communicate this? Well, I invite people. So um, my favorite leadership instrument, if you will, is something we call grill the boss, right? So on, on your first day when you're working with us and at least once per year, um, you have to fly in here to Munich into our home and uh, you will have to cook with me. This is uh, also where we, this is the last step in the recruitment process where we filter out all vegans and non-beer drinkers, right? We are a burger and beer-based uh, company culture. Or if you are a vegan, you need to show me that like your vegan burger is really up to snuff, right? Um, and, and this is like in, in those conversations with people, that is how I like I don't, I don't believe you can communicate something as important as vision, which as vision, which comes out of your own soul, right? This is something that highly aligns with what I feel, what is important, what, my role in the world, and you can't really communicate that with a Zoom call in front of two hundred people, right? That is not authentic. So, so I always focus on getting people in and then telling them why I do this, right? Why I'm doing this, why I believe that we should work the way we should work and on the projects that we are working on to get real traction on that. Yeah, that's awesome. You, you do have an open home. I know we discussed uh, your presentation at, at uh, for our conference uh, around your kitchen table as well. No, that is awesome stuff and uh, very, very personal also with people, um, especially when somebody starts remote, has never been in an office, right? But then inviting them home i think that it has a sort of uh, power to it that's great and uh, that also answers uh, my next question basically which is how you onboard new hires but i assume after you weed out uh the vegans you you communicate your mission what else do you do to make sure people uh, find themselves in the company, know what to do and, and can be, you know, can provide value without doing things again. Right. So onboarding is probably the most tricky process to get right in a remote company, right? And that is also what you see. Like we are consulting other companies on going remote and working remotely and leading remotely. This is the number one thing that people found hard in the last year, starting somewhere just remotely so it all comes like you basically from a mindset perspective you need to plan that the first month your new hire will not add any value right that is the mindset you 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 need to have because otherwise getting somebody up to speed will take a year and they will never really feel part of the team and, and properly onboarded right like most people if you and, and we tried that by by failure right so 
we learned that the hard way. People get very anxious in the beginning. Like for the first six months, people are super anxious when working remotely. And we counter that by taking a lot of time. So I said, I get people here and we cook and we talk. And then everybody gets an, an onboarding buddy, we call it, in the company. So usually a developer from the same team with the same slightly higher seniority. And he's for you. He's there for you. Like every question you have, that's the guy you ask, right? Because most people are very shy asking their boss, all right, where's the form to fill out my travel expenses, for instance, right? Like all the small and questions that you usually ask over a desk that you ask your office neighbor, right, uh, is really hard to get right remotely. So we have this onboarding buddy. And also in the first week, uh, so first up, the first day is just like getting input, right? The first day I will give a speech about company goals. The team lead gives a presentation about team goals and team processes. Um, the onboarding body gives an introduction into the ongoing project. So first day is just like, welcome. Uh, this is how we, how we run things. And then the next week we do pair programming or sometimes called shadowing, right? So the new guy has nothing to do a whole, for a whole week, but just watching uh, his onboarding buddy do his work, right? So he, onboarding buddy shares the screen and the new guy just watches and listens in and can ask all kinds of questions. And then the week after we turn this around, right? So that the new guy is uh, has to work and the old guy just has to watch and like give him pointers, right? And that is like during those two weeks, everything happens at least twice, right? Uh, with our sprint cycle, all processes you first saw it and then you had to do it, but with somebody behind you to telling you, no, 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 that's wrong or this is right. And what we also, what I also recommend is that you do a check-in, like the team lead has a quick 15-minute call at the end of every day, really as a call to find out if there are any issues, any roadblocks um, during the, the onboarding calls. So I guess those three things are really critical. So first up, personal connection, like meet your people and have at least dinner with them. But cooking is better, I can promise you that. And then second, have an onboarding buddy for the first month that helps them out with pair programming and shadowing. And thirdly, have like a daily check-in in the first month every day at the end of the day for 15 minutes with the team lead. And another important topic that many people find very challenging on a remote basis. It's not just onboarding, it is also brainstorming. So what if we have something, uh, we have a problem that we're not very clear, there's no documentation, it's not just, hey, go implement this, but we need to discuss a problem, we need to find a better solution. Most people say we used to gather around a whiteboard and just throw spaghetti at the wall. We try this on a Zoom call, it ends after 10 minutes of nobody having an idea how to approach that or should we just fly and meet well there are two kinds of processes that are really hard to get right in a remote setting and the one is that you are just describing that is problem solving or finding a let's say technical solution the other one is a more of a creative problem right so if you for instance want to develop your your company's persona right like what is like these kind of or new slogan your new logo for those kind of tasks like everything that is about creative work about spitballing if you will right like coming up with a brand name one person says i don't know dog right the next says cat right where you need that kind of 
jumping off other people's thoughts, fly in and meet. That setting, like you can't get that in a Zoom call and, and, and unless Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg gets his VR glasses up to scratch, right? You will never have can do that remotely. I think for problem solving, there's a better way than even meeting, but you need to have a very strong moderator. So what we do is we either jump into a, a Mentimeter or a Miro board, and there we do basically as you would with post-its in a meeting, you split the work into time. So it's not a free-for-all brainstorming, right? The moderator, the host, defines the task that needs to be solved. And everybody writes down digitally, of course, what they think, like their ideas, right? Like give them 10 minutes to write down or whatever. And then have them presented, right? Everybody presents this. The great thing about that approach is that compared to free-for-all brainstorming, you also get the input from introverted people, right? Like in a brainstorming around an office table or a conference table, it's only the loud mouse, right? The, the usual suspects who are contributing because the introspects, they keep behind, like they're just shy, right? They don't want to push. So if you have everybody prepare and then present a possible solution and then you can take it then you can take it from there so that's one approach one other approach that that i really like is splitting up if you have a larger team splitting them up in smaller teams right so you have a one-on-one -on -one kind of situation where two people for instance in a zoom breakout call can work on a solution and you have five teams for instance work on the same problem right so you get very intensive work you let them work for half an hour or 45 minutes and then everybody comes back and everybody presents their idea and discusses different merits on that right and then you do another breakout session where the people take what they've learned from the other group and fine-tune their solution to it or, or just grab another person's solution and, and work on that and that kind of very structured approach to problem solving I found that more efficient than a real meeting around the table because let's face it, people are lazy, right? Like you have a problem, you call your five guys on, onto the conference room and then you just brainstorm, right? That's how it usually works. And I, I think the remote setting forces you to use a more structured approach, which in the end is better than the spitballing game in the conference room. Yeah, that makes sense because it, it uh, in a conference room, you might not actually be that much more productive, but it just feels differently because you're more casual, right? You, you make a joke, you uh, speak about your vacation, uh, and it, it feels a little bit more productive at the end because you don't have these awkward moments of silence. But uh, I agree. I like your approach. It's like a tennis game of ideas, like uh, <laughs> moving forward a, a layer each time. Very nice. Do you then document any of those decision made? Do you have a wiki? Do you have any any systems like that to then really communicate that outside? Or does that mostly just apply within a squad? Yeah, that's very limited. Like I, I'm still looking for a good wiki. So we, we try a new one every year and always default back to Confluence. So I'm still looking for something that, that integrates like a wiki with the power of Google documents, right? That is like, that's always our issue. Like when you want to work productively, asynchronously, you want a tool like, like Google Docs, right? Where you have proper commenting and suggested changes and, and version history. But then there comes a time where you need to basically make it more solid, saying this is now official. 
right? So I'm still I'm still looking for for that hybrid, basically Confluence meets Google Docs. You might want to try Notion. Probably not perfect on both fronts, but it has a lot of these these that you that you mentioned. Now that we've spoken on alignment, essentially in in solving problems. Another challenge a lot of people face, and and I, I get that question a lot when I speak to people. It's like, yes, Victor, I understand, but how do I know people are working? That obviously on the extreme, people then ask, so can I just record their screens? And uh, that is that <laughs> I, I get that I get that regularly, which is an, an objection that I have to battle very hard at this point. And uh, so, what's your approach here? I want to make sure. Or how to be at peace with yourself, even for for maybe maybe that's actually the problem, right? How to be at peace with yourself that you don't know if every minute that you're paying for is actually being spent on on work. Yeah, so you hit you hit hit one of my pet peeves, if you will. I have been asked this question a thousand times at least up until mid of last year. Right? Because that was always the number one question from every manager is, Hannes, how do you make sure that those people are working and not Instagramming the whole day? Right? And I said, guy, this, dude, this is not the problem. Like you are, your problem is exactly the opposite. How do you make sure that your people stop working after eight hours so they don't burn out? Right? Like remote work, at least when you're working with creative and smart people, will burn out people. Right? So the problem is exactly like they have it backwards. Right, like the problem is backwards. But if you are really worried about that kind of stuff, and most most office-bound managers and leaders, like they feel that kind of this loss of control. So I simply like I implore everyone like do Scrum. Right, it's so simple. If you start your week, everybody like going through the list of stuff that needs to be done. You have your daily where everybody is like telling what they did and what they want to. And at the end of the week, you have your demo where everybody is showing what they've done. There's no better way. And you actually don't need to be involved in that, right? You, if, if you are not part of the project, you can even stay out of it if you are that leadership guy because the team will make sure everybody's contributing, right? Like peer pressure is the best way to weed out your slackers, if you will, right? Like because everybody else is so motivated, if you have autonomous teams working remotely from from home you don't need to motivate them because the work is very rewarding and if you build great stuff that is that is really not an issue so my short answer is that's not a problem long answer is scrum it actually makes a lot of sense so we we also do the dailies with like what have you done yesterday versus what do you want to do today in a bullet point style in slack and obviously you see very clearly looking at these uh, who's overestimating, underestimating what makes sense, what doesn't. It's a, it's a very quick reality check. And in the end, if what you're paying for resonates with what you're getting as a result, more or less, if there was half an hour more or less work involved, uh, it, it, it really doesn't matter that much at the end of the day. So that's on accountability, but how about maybe uh, not just accountability within projects or within day-to-day work, but how about long-term company goals, uh, OKRs, KPIs, or maybe even personal development? Not that much company goal related, but uh, do you have any any frameworks around that as well? 
Yeah. So with regards to KPIs, we we fully adopted the OKR system, the objective and and key results, because that's like there's there's no other way to run an autonomous company with small autonomous teams other than management by goals, right? Like there's no really no other way to do that, and and OKRs are a fine way to do that, although it takes time and some experience to get this off the ground. So I wouldn't recommend trying this on your own because you will fail. I, I have a good, if you need a recommendation, I have a good friend who is helping startups implement their OKR system. So, but that is how I run the teams and how the teams are, are improving on their own. But then the, the second part is really interested, interesting that you've asked, Victor, and that is personal development. And that is one of our goals. Actually, there are two reasons why our company exists. One is obviously to fulfill my aspiration on what I want to do with my time. But the second reason the companies exist is to develop our people. And uh, so we spend an enormous amount of time into personal development. So we have, uh, for instance, we have mandatory weekly one-on-ones. So everybody has to have a one-on-one with their, with their boss every week, with their, with their team lead every week. And every team lead has it, has it with me. And it's not a status update kind of meeting, right? Like we have a framework, literally seven questions that my team leads need to ask their people and I ask my people. And it's all about, it's all about the person, right? Like it's what are their challenges? What are their issues? And that can be work-related, but must not be work-related, right? Like I told you about Richard who was stranded in Australia for a year. Like in his one-on-one, we were solving like logistical and visa issues uh, and had nothing to do with with his work because these kinds of personal issues were blocking him from being productive right so whatever is front and center of anybody's mind needs to be solved and that is what leaders are there for right so it's very rarely about work so that's the feedback culture and the also like just paying attention to your people and the second is we have, like, I've built a development program with courses across different areas. And, and they can be obviously programming related, software related or design related, like stuff that is very much hands on to our, to our daily business. But there are like some 40 courses on uh, general management, for instance. We have, uh, I teach accounting, I teach negotiations. We have stuff on mindfulness. We have uh, like really personal development, personal goal development. So anything that that I found helpful in the last, I don't know, 20 years of my professional life, I'm trying to teach and get inspirations as well, right? So we, we actually have a book club in the company. So I read about like a business book every week and then I post this in the company internally and Sometimes people then read along, right? That's always a good idea to read along with what I'm reading because you can be sure that uh, something will come your way once I read that book. Uh, so yeah, so that is that's our, our second focus. And actually, that is what all our leadership is focusing on, on the personal development of people. And the teams themselves make sure the performance gets is working, right? So that's our leaders are not slaveholders with whips whipping people into action right but their focus is only developing and helping the people enablement really to enable people yeah. to do good work very interesting and it to to dive into more of that that really is a perfect segue into culture because how do you create 
that engaging environment. Uh, you already spoke about, we spoke about onboarding. I'll start that. We, you have your, your onboarding buddy. You have one-on-ones. You, you grill the boss. You, But what else do you do to get people together to live the mission and vision? So culture is basically, like there's underlying stuff in culture, but how it manifests itself is in stuff that you can see and feel and perhaps even touch if you're in an office building, right? So if you have a classic office building, you can do loads and loads of stuff with the way you design your offices and what kind of perks you do. In a remote company, all you have is behavior and behavior that both you as a leader exhibit, right? What you do every single day and also what kind of behavior you tolerate or even endorse, right? So what is written in your company memo, right, about uh, about your vision, mission, and culture, and 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 how you want to treat people, right? If you say like you are really like a kind organization, but you yourself scream at people all the time if they fuck something up, right? That is obviously not going to help if you want to have that kind, forgiving, tolerant culture. So it's really important to check your behavior all the time so your own behavior if, if you want to have a certain culture as a leader you need to you need to be front and center like you need to do that 200 percent, right like if your company culture for instance is one of transparency which is in, in our case so my emails are all visible to everyone in the team my calendar is visible right and all the like checking in stuff or, or documenting things i do that twice as often and twice as nicely as everybody else Right? That is, if you want something done, regardless of what your culture, like you can, you, you might want to have a more military style culture, right? Because you want to have, you need that, but still you need to live it, right? That is the one thing. And the second thing, and that can't be underestimated is, is, um, is what you tolerate, right? If you say, for instance, you are a company that values diversity and inclusiveness highly, but then people make jokes in Slack about how a certain woman dresses, for instance, right? So you need to make sure if you see something that is not in line with the culture that you want to enforce in your company, or not enforce is not the right word because you can't enforce it, which you want to, what's a better word? Fertilize, I'd, I'd say, is a better, better idea on how culture actually grows you need to make sure that other people are behaving in a way that is aligned with that so if you see like a sexist comment or a homophobic comment for instance you need to grab that person and set it straight and if it's like a public thing that went wrong you need to make that even official like do that in your next all hands meeting and address that right that's that's i think very important the second part that you need to need to make sure that how people are behaving is in line with your culture. And if that is not the case, then you need to take action. And we actually did that, right? Like the number run, like we, we haven't fired so many people, like a handful perhaps, but all of those were based on cultural grounds. I had to fire my best developer, but he was just abusive, right? When he got under stress in a meeting, he made other people cry, right? Like he was so so abusive with other people. Or we had people who like who didn't live up to our idea of ownership and accountability, right? Like if you see something, it's your responsibility to fix it, right? Because in remote organizations, 
stuff falls through the crack. So if you see something, you need to fix it. And there was just some guy who he, he saw a bug, but said, ah, I'm an iOS developer. It's a bug on Android. I don't care, right? That's not my job. So you need to, you, as, as they say, you need to put your money where your mouth is when it comes to culture. Do you meet up like as the entire company or within teams a lot on retreats? We used to, up until COVID hit, we were quite a travel happy lot, right? So um, the teams met every three months somewhere in, in Europe and the whole company met uh, once per year for a big multi-day extended weekend with family and and kids sometimes when when it when it makes sense and it's actually like when when people ask me what's the most important thing for a successful remote company it's being as little remote as possible like meet up as often as you can because it's so hard to build human relationships over zoom calls right like you need to touch other people, right? be around them, smell them. Actually, you would be surprised if you look into the literature, how much of, of human interaction is, is, is based on smell, right? Like um, when, when it comes to building real deep relationships. So meet up a lot. That's very interesting. And the last one, because we've already been recording for quite a bit and uh, I know your schedule is very busy. So, um, but this is, I think, interesting because you already, you already said that in an office you can give perks, you can um, make a nice office, you can uh, give the salad bowl and, and, and things like that, that classic startups used to do, foosball table. What perks do you give in a remote environment? Well, I, I, don't, I don't believe in perks, to be honest. As a organized part of your compensation motivation, because that's an, what, what psychologists would call that's an extrinsic motivation, and that doesn't Like th there's a saturation in there, right? Like you can give perks and perks and perks and perks and people just get used to it. And so it wears off and you are at a higher level of cost. So I, I believe a lot in, in, in working in, intrinsically, right? So helping people to learn, helping people to be part of an initiative, helping other people. Like one of the biggest motivator people have is if you can help another person. So we've built that into our leadership. Like actually my, my team leads, they have scorecards where they need to write down just for themselves which of those internal triggers they can instigate in their people, right? So they get this nice internal boost all the time and are internally motivated to do their great work. I do send, like I have a few things that I do. For instance, I'm really big on Christmas presents. Um, I spend a lot of time on that. So People have, um, we send out Lego Star Wars sets. We have set out uh, super NES, like retro things, uh, uh, consoles. We have sent out Nerf guns. But that's a good thing working with, with, with nerds. Like we, we are still boys in our heart, right? So all the stuff that we weren't able to buy ourselves when we were kids, I do this now and send, send these out. Or super soaker in the summer. It's more like an ego thing for me because I just enjoy handing out toys so much that, um, <laughs> yeah. That almost classifies as an official perk, though. Now, how can people find out more about you and your various companies? All right. So um, if you're interested in working with us or for us, you can go to stanwood.de and you can see everything that we do on the software development part. And if you are interested in our experience in remote work, we have set up a whole program where you can learn how to run 
a company fully remotely. And the best thing to start with is going on fuxis.de slash remote. And there's a white paper with our 10 remote work hacks. And then there's a whole bunch of other literature that we've created and webinars that we've created. And actually a bootcamp, which is coming up in two months, a bootcamp on remote leadership um, where you can get like our, the experience of 15 years uh, compressed into a three-day workshop. And you find, can find all of that under fuxes.de slash remote. That's F-O-O-X-E-S dot D-E, I, I, I suppose, right? Yes. Excellent. Yeah, that is very exciting, actually. I think people should do that if they want to be serious about it, especially in a, well, I don't think just in a larger organization, but even in a smaller one. Uh, these concepts apply, the culture applies, the accountability applies, all of it does. Is there anything else you want to share with people that they can read or um, what they should check out to learn more? Yeah, there's like one book that I that I always recommend. Anybody who wants to build up, especially when you want to set up your, your own company. And, and there's a book by the head of HR from Google. His name is Laszlo Bock. And his book is Work Rules. And it's basically an insight on how Google is running their operation with regards to leadership. And that has been the great, like the one book out of a hundred business books that has been the biggest inspiration on how to run a modern company. Uh, also, because it's all numbers based, right? Like they don't invent stuff; they they measure and they improve and they repeat. And that is that is the best uh, book in that regard. And otherwise, if you want to have a chat with me, just contact me on LinkedIn, and we'll take it from there. Awesome. We'll make sure to link it up. Thank you so much, Hannes. Uh, that was very insightful. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Victor. This show is brought to you by Trustshoring, your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one -on -one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to trustshoring.com.